بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسوله الكريم أما بعد قال الله تبارك وتعالى في القرآن المجيد والفرقان الحميد إن لدينا أنكالا وجحيما وطعاما ذا غصة وعذابا أليما So alhamdulillah we move on to the fourth uh, part of our Hell Reveal series and um, Many of you, some of you may be thinking that where is hell? We've not discussed hell yet. So the idea is that we could have discussed hell first and then we could have discussed the fear of hell and how people's approach was to hellfire. Since Ibn Rajab al-Hanbali has started it off with a discussion about how people spoke about the hellfire, how the Quran speaks about hellfire and the, actually the fear about hellfire, we just want to discuss that first. So there's maybe... A bit more discussion about that today inshallah our discussion after you've understood the level of fear that's necessary and if you have too much fear that debilitates you as we said that if there's some people who the fear doesn't allow them to worship uh, makes them stop prostrating in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and so on then that's generally from the shaitan or it's an OCD matter or some other issue that comes into play there so we need to have a healthy dose of fear and that's what's very important for us to understand so I'm going to mention a few other hadith and so on about it and how people, how the fear used to be in such intense, you know, what should that fear be? So that for some people it actually stopped them from sleeping at night. Uh, for some people the fear of hellfire uh, was so concerning that it actually made them sick and people could not work out why they were sick. Uh, for some people it, they didn't enjoy eating anymore. For some people, they didn't enjoy any. They they did not enjoy doing any other luxuries or pleasure pastimes and so on and so forth. So this gives us an understanding of how fear can be and how fear is, and that way uh, we can uh, try to understand how we are uh, and where we are in terms of the fear. And I think that's very very important. So there's a hadith that's related uh, from the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam with a slightly weak chain. Ibn Rajab al Hambali quotes this. And uh, it's from Hamza Az-Zayyad from Humran ibn A'yun. He says that he heard the Prophet or rather the Prophet heard a reciter of the Quran re reading the following verses of Surah Al-Muzzammil. إِنَّ لَدَيْنَا أَنْكَالًا وَجَحِيمًا وَطَعَامًا ذَا غُصَّةٍ وَعَذَابًا أَلِيمًا Which basically means that we have, we possess fetters and the blazing fire Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala possesses fetters which means things that will shackle a person tie up a person that's fetters and also a blazing fire and also food that causes you to choke Ch food that will choke you right so people will you might say well I don't need to eat that food well a person will be so hungry and so thirsty that they will ask for food and that's what they'll be given and they'll have to eat it, but it'll actually also be a source of punishment. And wa'adhaban alima and also a punishment, a severe punishment. So the Prophet heard somebody recite this verse, right? He heard somebody recite this verse and the Prophet fell unconscious himself. This is mentioned in this narration as well. In another version of this narration, it says that the Prophet ﷺ first began to weep until eventually he was overcome and then he fell unconscious. From this you can understand that this 
to feel the fear of uh, the fear of Allah, the fear of hellfire sometimes, and it have this kind of pronounced effect once in a while, doesn't necessarily need to be a bad thing. Of course, if all the time, then it becomes difficult to maintain, and there's some stories and some incidents regarding that which I'll mention later. Thereafter, that there's another one which is related from Abdul Aziz ibn Abi Rawad. He says that when Allah subhanahu wa taala had the following verse of Surah Al-Tahrim. Right, Surah Al-Tahrim, verse 6, revealed to the Prophet It's a famous verse, you've probably heard it quoted many times. Ya amanu, qū anfusakum wa ahlikum nara, wa nas wal hijara. O people who believe, protect your, uh, yourselves and your families from the hellfire, whose fuel is our people and stones. The Prophet ﷺ then recited, after it was revealed, the Prophet ﷺ recited it to his companions. So the Prophet ﷺ repeated these verses, he recited them to the companions. There was a youth, there was a young man there, subhanAllah, young man, and he, as soon as he heard this, I mean, he, he fell unconscious. What you have to understand is that this wasn't happening all the time, right? You know, so the Prophet ﷺ would read something. It, it doesn't mean that this was happening all the time, but in some cases, people would fall unconscious when the hellfire would be spoken about. It may have been read in a particular way. Uh, it may have been recited in a particular way. Uh, there could be a lot of factors. To be honest, I think we need to understand there could be a lot of factors for why this could happen. I would think, I would think, and I can only think about myself, that, right, that if a person is going through something, an emotional moment, their heart is broken because of something, maybe they're, they're really in a state of huge remorse, uh, because they've committed some sin or because they've done something wrong or they've just been basically defeated in this world in some way by someone or something or whatever and it's just making a person feel vulnerable and feel um, self-conscious, uh, feel uh, their mortality is close to them and then if they were to hear a verse like this, right, it, it could have a much more profound effect than when you just hear it normally because in a normal state, unfortunately, most people are distracted. Right? We're so distracted, even when we listen to the Qur'an, you know, we don't have the time to ponder. Right? We don't have the time to ponder. Another thing which is a big issue, right, which uh, is a big barrier rather, you can say, is for people like us who are not from an Arab background. Alhamdulillah, I mean, I understand Arabic, but uh, I'm saying for people who don't understand Arabic, then it becomes more difficult because when you listen to the Qur'an, you can just be amazed by its beauty and the fact that you know it's Allah's words. But... For example, Ya Anfusakum, I would say that the majority would probably not know what that means. So how is that going to affect a person? So I think by the fact that we're not trying to understand the Quran, I think what we're doing is we're stopping ourselves from being affected by it. SubhanAllah, the effect of the Quran, even without us understanding the meaning, many people understanding the meaning, they love it. Right? They 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 just absolutely enjoy it. It's incredible. It has a very profound effect. So imagine if you could learn it. So I think by not learning it, we're not letting the Qur'an speak to us. We're not letting it affect us. And you'll see how different scholars used to actually read it with effect to try to have that effect in it for themselves and for other people. So anyway, this, uh, this young man, he fell down and fainted when he heard this verse. The Prophet ﷺ placed his hand, subhanAllah, the Prophet ﷺ placed his hand, meaning his own hand, on the chest of that youth and he discovered that you know, there was a beat. So that means he was alive. And the Prophet ﷺ said, Ya Fata, and maybe he was awake by this time, he said, Ya Fata, qul la ilaha illallah. 
قُلْ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ So he said, say لا إله إلا الله, there is no God except Allah. So this young man, he actually said that, right? He said that, and then the Prophet ﷺ gave him glad tidings of paradise. Now I'm not sure if this young man was already a Muslim or not, right? And then he became Muslim at this point, and that's why the Prophet ﷺ, the hadith doesn't mention that as to whether this person was a Muslim already or not, right? And the Prophet ﷺ just told him to say it, he said it, and subhanAllah, um, the Prophet ﷺ gave him glad tidings for paradise. Now, seeing this whole event where the Prophet ﷺ giving this glad tidings to him, some of the companions said, Ya Rasulullah, I mean, Bainina, some, uh, you know, from us as well, like from among us as well, the Prophet said, Have you not heard the words of the Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saying, in Surah Ibrahim, Surah Ibrahim, verse 14. That is for the one who is fearful of my of standing in front of me, of my standing, of my position, and who fears the warning, who fears the warning. So if we're of those people, then I guess, uh, you know, we could also be part of this. We could also get the benefit of that. That's what he said to them. Thereafter that, Sulaiman ibn Suhaim, he says that there's a person who uh, has seen Ibn Umar radiallahu an, right? He related to me. So Sulaiman ibn Suhaim is saying that somebody who's seen Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu an who praying in his prayer, right, who's witnessed his prayer, said to me that he saw Umar, ibn Umar, Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu anhu performing prayer and he was moving around in this distressed state. And he was saying, oh, oh, like, you know, he was making these expressions in his reading, right, that showed huge amount of concern, right, for something that he was really grieving about something, worried about something. And what the person remarks is that we knew him and we knew his soft-hearted nature. We knew how soft a heart he had and how trembling it was. If it was somebody else that saw him in that state, they would actually think that maybe he's got fits or something, or maybe he's got some kind of sickness. That And why was he in that state? What had brought him to that level of uh, looking so perturbed and so uh, trembling and shaking and so on? Is because of the mention of hellfire. Because he had just recited, he just passed by the verse in Suratul Furqan, verse 13. وَإِذَا أُلْقُوا مِنْهَا And I'm going to mention the verse numbers from now on as well. Just so that if you want, you can collect these verses if it helps. Uh, sometimes it just helps to have a collection of verses that we can just ponder. So the verse was, وَإِذَا أُلْقُوا مِنْهَا مَكَانًا ضَيِّقًا مُقَرَّنِينَ دَعُوا هُنَالِكَ ثُبُورًا that when they're thrown into there in a very, very constrained and tight spot, right? And then it carries on and they'll be shackled and all of there, and then they'll be calling out for death and so on because death would be better than that. <clears throat> there's numerous ones. I'm, I'm actually just mentioning some of them because there's just so many mentions. That's why uh, another person called Yazid ibn Haushab, he's somebody who actually seen... Um, Hassan al-Basri and Umar ibn Abdul Aziz. So he was probably a tabu'ut tabi'een. He would say that I've not seen anybody more fearful. I've not witnessed anybody more fearful than Hassan al-Basri rahimahullah and Umar ibn Abdul Aziz. How fearful? It is as if, I mean, this is obviously his observation. He says it is as if they felt that hellfire had just been created for them. That's how fearful they were. 
I don't know, maybe, maybe we think that hellfire is not really for us. Allah is so forgiving, we're not going to go there. So we're, we're not really worried about it. But these people, for, it, for them, it was such a reality. It was as if, As though the fire would just go. That's how it's like, they had everybody's fear. He didn't see anybody else fearful, but he was so, they were so fearful as though they're the only people that had to be worried about the hellfire because it was created from them. Thereafter that, Ibn Abid Dunya, he's a, he also has a collection of narrations which is not as well known, but he's got some really interesting narrations in there. So he's got a narration in which <clears throat> it says that Abdullah ibn Hanzala was one day on his bed and <clears throat> Abdurrahman ibn al-Harith ibn Hisham, who knew him, says that once I saw him while on his, he's on his bed, right, he's, he's on his bed. And he was sick, so I had visited him, I was visiting him. And by him there was somebody else who was reciting Quran, or somebody recited the verse of Surah Al-A'raf, verse 41. لَهُمْ مِنْ جَهَنَّمَ مِهَادٌ وَمِنْ فَوْقِهِمْ غَوَاشٌ لَهُمْ مِنْ جَهَنَّمَ مِهَادٌ وَمِنْ فَوْقِهِمْ غَوَاشٌ Of the hellfire, those in the hellfire, for them in the hellfire of the hellfire will be a bed of fire. So that if they want to sleep, there's going to be a bed of fire. And above them, there's going to be coverings of fire. Subhanallah. It's almost like this fire beneath them, this fire above them, this fire around them. There's no way to escape in the hellfire. It's all over. It's above and it's below. How exactly hellfire is going to look? We're waiting for the description of how exactly this is going to figure out. Are you in these little cubicles or something? It's a makan and tayyik. It already says that it's going to be a tight spot. So it says about Abdullah ibn Hanzalah, he's already on his bed, right? He's sick. Somebody recites his verse in front of him. You can tell he's in that vulnerable state, right? That state of sickness, illness, you know, where a person is wondering what's going on. He started crying. He started weep weeping until it was so serious, we felt that he was going to die because of it, that he, his, his soul was going to depart because of it. And then he said, that look, they are basically within different levels of fire. They're submerged within different levels of fire. Right? Then after that, he got up, he stood up on his feet. And somebody said to him, Abu Abdurrahman, stop, sit down. You know, you don't need to stand up. He said, I can't sit down anymore. This mention of the hellfire has made me stand up. He's, he's restless. He thinks I shouldn't be sitting down, I should be doing something else, but he's sick, so he maybe can't do something else. So he's restless. This mention of the hellfire is actually making somebody restless. And then he's saying, Wala adri ahaduhum. I don't know, maybe I'm one of them, so I need to be careful, I need to be worried. And I mean, I would assume that these people were probably a lot better than us, right? And they're still in this state. The amount of sins that are available to us today so much more easily, the abundance of it, weren't available in those days. So, wallahu alam, I mean, I would assume that these people were much better than us. There's a hadith of Abu Bakr ibn Iyash. Abu Bakr ibn Iyash, he says, Once, Allahu Akbar, once I prayed behind Fudayl ibn Iyad, Salat al-Maghrib. I prayed Salat al-Maghrib behind Fudayl ibn Iyad. Fudayl ibn Iyad, Thalik al-Alim al-Abid al-Zahid. Abid al-Haramain. That's what he was called, the worshipper, the devotee of the two harams, even though he started off as a highwayman, very feared, 
like the big Daku, the big Dakoit, the big gangster of the area. But eventually he became one of the most pious people that he became known as. We've got a, we've got a whole lecture on his, uh, some of his biography on Zamzam Academy. right? So he's saying, I was praying behind him, Salat al-Maghrib, and on my side, like next to me, was his son, Fudail ibn Iyad's son, Rahimahullah. His name was Ali ibn Fudail. Fudail ibn Iyad, he recited Al-Hakum al-Takathur. Al-Hakum al-Takathur. Abundance has, meaning having so many things in abundance, has actually distracted you. And I think today there is so much abundance in what we have compared to what people had even a hundred years ago. Even, even a normal, uh, basic person Right, not very wealthy. He has so many things, access to so many things. It's just so much is available today. That has distracted him. And then, al hakum al takathur hatta zurtum al maqabir kalla sawfa taalamun thumma kalla sawfa taalamun kalla lo taalamun ilm al yaqin latarawun al jahim. And then it talks about latarawun al jahim. Verse six: You will then see the hellfire. You will then come across and see the hellfire. Ali, the son of Fudail ibn Iyad, he passed out. He passed out. Fudail, I don't think he knew what had happened and he was unable to carry on either. So he kept reciting it over and over again. He's just so taken by it. So he continues to read it. And then he says, ثُمَّ صَلَّى بِنَا صَلَاةَ خَائِفٍ he then led the prayer of a fearful individual. Like you could tell the fear that he was experiencing at that, at that moment. And the whole story is actually mentioned by, uh, I'm going to quote that to you from another book of Ibn Qudama, Al-Maqdisi, another Hanbali scholar, who's in the Kitab Al-Tawabin. So the story in there, the full story, and I might as well mention it to you from there, right? Because it's actually a very, very profound story. He says that, Ya'qub ibn Yusuf says that Fudail ibn Iyad, when he knew, he was the imam of the masjid, he would lead the prayer. When he knew that his son was praying behind him, then in, in salat, he would actually read quite hurriedly and he would not stop in places for effect and he would not like sta uh, stand there and uh, read things and brood over them and reflect them and repeat over them, especially the verses about hellfire and paradise. All right? So that he would not create fear. That's, that was the reason, right? But if he knew that his son was behind him, then, uh, sorry, if he, if he knew that his son was not behind him, then after that he would spend time and he would really create that effect and he would really, really enjoy that reading and he would really brood over it and reflect over it. As far as I know, there was, as far as I remember, there were, the mother of Ali, Fudail's wife, had told him not to read certain surahs if, the, if her son was there because he just couldn't take it. Right? So on this occasion, he didn't know that his son is behind him right? because he must have joined in later or something. And he came to the verse in Surah Al-Mu'minun, verse 106. رَبَّنَا غَلَبَتْ عَلَيْنَا شِقْوَتُنَا وَكُنَّا قَوْمًا ضَالِّينَ Our Lord, 
our misfortune, our wretchedness has overcome us, have overwhelmed us, and we were of the losers. Ali radiallahu uh, anhu, Ali was there and he fell and fainted when he heard that. He, he just had a very soft heart, he was very fearful, right? Because it mentions that Fudayl ibn Iyad was really fearful of Allah, but his son was even more fearful. His son was even more fearful. His son has even more fearful than the father. So the father had to be even careful about what he recited in front of his son. So Ali falls down and he becomes unconscious. Fudayl ibn Iyaz somehow figures it out. He must have heard a thud or whatever the case is. He might have heard some movement, right? And he must have figured out he's there. So he just quickly finished off reading. And the people went to the mother, probably lived close by. And she came and um, she sprinkled water over him. And he came, you know, he came out of consciousness. And then she told Fudayl off. She says, قَاتِلْ هَذَا الْغُلَامَ عَلَيْهِ you, You're going you're gonna to kill him. Right, you're not going to leave him for me. You're going to basically kill him over me. So that was fine, uh, the way it was. And again, on another occasion, he again thought Fudail, He again thought his son was not there. So he recited Surah Al-Zumar, verse 47. That which they never thought would occur suddenly will appear in front of them. Maybe all their sins and everything else of the past will appear in front of them. On this occasion, it was so serious that Ali, his son, fell down and actually passed away. Now, he didn't know that. He again figured out that he must have heard something. So he quickly finished off the Qira'ah. And again, his mother came. And uh, his, his mother was called and she came and... Um, this time she tried everything to sprinkle water or whatever the case was, but he never got up at this time. He passed away in that case. This is the fear of Allah that they actually had to actually, they, they couldn't ponder over it. It was just so much of a reality for them. Allahu Akbar. Allah give us a, give us a taste of the right amount of fear. Allah give us the right amount of fear. Allah. That's why Abu Nu'im, uh, he's got a narration from Fudayl um, who says that, Fudayl says that one day I saw my son Ali while he is in the courtyard of the house and he's saying, Annar, Annar, Wa khalas min annar, fire the fire, you know, when can I find some escape? When can I attain an escape from the fire? One day, the same Ali, right, was by Sufyan ibn Uyayna, the great Muhaddith, and Sufyan ibn Aina was transmitting hadith, he was relating hadith, so he related a hadith in which there was a mention of the hellfire. Ali had um, with him a piece of paper, uh, some scroll that he was writing in probably, right? And it was um, with something that was tied to him. But when that hadith of the hellfire came, he took a deep breath and um, the paper and everything fell from his hand, right? You know, you could tell that he, he was just shocked. So Sufyan turned to him and he said, he didn't realize it was there. You know, these would be big gatherings of hadith narration. He said, if I knew you were there, because it looks like everybody knew him. Like this was known about them. That Fudayl was very frightened of the hellfire, had a huge amount of fear, and his son was even more so. So they would be careful about this thing. So he said, Had I known that you were present here, I would not have narrated this hadith. Now he felt unconscious, right? He'd fallen unconscious. And he only uh, became conscious after a while. 
Mansur ibn Ammar says that one day I was uh, in the Masjid al-Haram and I mentioned something of the description of the hellfire. And I saw Fudayl ibn Iyad himself now. I saw Fudayl ibn Iyad shriek, like uh, shout out until he also, uh, until he uh, became unconscious. So it looks like this was something that they both, it would, it would happen to both of them. He said uh, Abu Nu'im, uh, Imam Abu Nu'im al-Asfahani, he mentions in Hilya that this Ali ibn Fudayl once prayed behind an Imam who recited Surah Al-Rahman. Now you know Surah Al-Rahman has both things. It has hellfire and it has, so initially it has a discussion about hellfire, right? And then after that, literally the second half of the surah almost is all about paradise. It's got a beautiful description of paradise, right? So you would think that that would balance it out. But what happened is um, the Imam recites Surah Al-Rahman. When he finished the when he finished the prayer, somebody said to Ali that didn't you because they could see maybe him with a fearful face. So they were surprised. I mean, you can see they were so connected to the Quran that. They were conscious of what was being recited, uh, what kind of effect it should have had and so on. So they worried that why does, um, why is this Ali still fearful? Like what's wrong with him? So the person asked him that, didn't you listen to the Imam reciting fil khiyam, which is verse, uh, uh, which is verse I think 72, uh, which basically speaking about the, the wide-eyed Huris. Right, who would be constrained there in in their special uh, uh, domains, in their special dwellings, right? The special dwellings that would be made for them. He says, didn't you hear that? Like, aren't you excited about that? So he said, Shagalani anha ma qablaha. No, I was distracted. I was occupied. Actually, I was occupied with what came before it, which is verse thirty-five, right? So imagine from verse thirty-five, he's so occupied that even the paradise description. Subhanallah, it, it, it doesn't help to overcome him. You know, that's his fear. يُرْسَلُ عَلَيْكُمَا شُوَاظٌ مِّن نَارٍ وَنُحَاسٌ فَلَا تَنْتَصِرَانٌ He's talking about the various different types of punishments and the fire that will basically uh, come to seize the people in the hellfire and they won't be able to defend themselves. They won't be able to find any assistance. So that got him so occupied that he wasn't even able to enjoy the rest of it. Ibn Abi Dhib says that there's somebody who uh, was there at the time of uh, Umar ibn Abdul Aziz and who was with him. And uh, this, this was before Umar ibn Abdul Aziz became the Khalif. This was when he was still the Amir of Medina Munawwara. Right? So under the Umayyads, under his cousins, while Sulaiman etc. were the Khalif, he was an Amir of Medina Munawwara. Somebody recited to him Surah Al-Furqan verse 13. إِذَا أُلْقُوا the, the one I recited before إِذَا أُلْقُوا مِنْهَا مَكَانًا ضَيِّقًا مُقَرَّنِينَ دَعُوا هُنَالِكَ ثُبُورًا When they're going to be thrown into that tight place in hellfire, right? And they're going to be shackled up and everything. فَبَكَى عُمَرْ He started crying. حَتَّى غَلَبَهُ الْبُكَاءُ وَعَلَى نَشِيجُهُ Right? He was overcome. And you could hear his crying. I mean, it was intense. فَقَامَ مِنْ مَجْلِسِ وَدَخَلَ بَيْتَ وَتَفَرَّقَ النَّاسِ there were people sitting around him, but he, he was just so overwhelmed, so overcome that he had to leave the gathering. He entered into the privacy of his own home and people then left. Allah, give us this kind of fear, subhanAllah. From time to time, it would be very, very beneficial. Abu Nuh al-Ansari says that once in the home of Ali ibn al-Husayn, this is a family of a grandson of the Prophet he was in prostration 
and there was a fire in his home. And everybody's saying fire, fire, fire. Now, if you're in salat and somebody says fire, I mean, you know, you know what that means. Then he wasn't moving, so people started to actually call out to him, Yabna Rasulillah, Annar, oh grandson of Rasulullah, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. The fire, there's a fire. He didn't even raise his hand from the he didn't even raise his head from the sujood until eventually the fire was put out. Now, probably the fire was like not next to him, it was somewhere else, but he didn't want to run. He was just whatever his enjoyment was in the salat. Somebody said to him that, why were you so occupied? Why didn't you get out? I mean, that was dangerous or whatever. He said, Ukhra, the other fire, the greater fire is what occupied me from this smaller fire. Look at, look at where these people think about it. The, the hellfire for them is a reality, so this fire reminds them of that. So he must be praying. They must have said fire, and he must have thought, well, what about that fire? I'm going to get some benefit out of praying right now. now. Of course, if the fire was next to him, I don't think it's allowed to burn yourself, right? Wallahu alam. There was a person, uh, another one of our aslaf, right? Uh, his name was Yazid al-Raqqashi. Yazid al-Raqqashi, right? He used to cry a lot. Right? He used to weep a lot. So somebody told him off once. Right? And um, somebody said to him that, you know, even if hellfire was created specially for you, you couldn't cry more. Like you cry so much that even if hellfire was for you, you probably wouldn't cry anymore. So then he said, isn't that true though? Isn't the fire created for me and for my companions and for our brothers of the jinn and ins? So isn't it, is it not for me? I think he really underscores a big point here, right? We think it's cre- it is created for people. We think it is created for everyone. But for somehow it's not created for us. It's like somehow, I don't know, do you think it is this that somehow we think that out of so many people, it's just like we kind of, kind of, it won't be so bad because there'll be so many people there. So it won't be really so bad. You know, if you're being punished alone, that's tough. If you're in a prison alone, that's tough. But if you're in prison with so many people, you're all being punished together, then not necessarily everybody's going to get the same punishment or whatever the case. I don't know. I don't know what it is. So he said, you're right. I mean, it is created for me, but it's created for all of us. Haven't you recited the verse in Surah Al-Rahman, uh, verse 31? سَنَفْرُغُ لَكُمْ أَيُّهَا الثَّقَلَانِ Like, I'm going to free myself for you. I'm going to like fully focus on you on that day. You know, I'm, I'm going to be free myself. I mean, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala focuses on everybody all the time anyway. He doesn't need to. Uh, but here he says the whole focus, right, is going to be on you. O thaqalan, O um, in, insan and jinn. And haven't you also recited a verse in Surah verse 35? The one I recited earlier. Yursalu alaykum min nar. That all of these things of the fire are going to be thrown at you. Wa nuhasun tasiran. Right? And then he carried on reading until he reached Yatufuna Bainaha wa Baina Hamimin An, which basically means that they will alternate between its flames and the scalding water. So they're sometimes going to be tested by the fire, the flames, and sometimes they're going to be dealing when they get thirsty and the scalding water. The women were like this well, there's numerous stories of women, and we can't go through all of them, but I'll mention a few Rabi'a al Adawiyah. Once somebody recited to her one of the verses that had the mention of hellfire in there and she shrieked and then she fell down and uh, she fell unconscious. These people would fall unconscious. Have we ever fallen unconscious like that? You know, have you ever seen anybody fall unconscious? There was another one, Mu'adha al-Adawiyya. Mu'adha al-Adawiyya. When she was, uh, when she got married to her husband, 
right? Mu'adha al-Adawiyah got married to a husband whose name was Silat ibn Ashyam. Silat ibn Ashyam. It's their first night of marriage, right? Now, the nephew of Silat ibn Ashyam is helping him, right? Preparing him. It's his uncle, right? Uh, so the nephew is actually helping him on his marriage date, on his, on his, for his marriage and the first night. So first he, he takes him to the hammam so that he can wash up and everything. All right? Now in the hammam, it's hot water, so there's fire there. Then after that, he takes him to the room that he's going to meet his wife in, right? which was very well fragranced and scented and everything like that. So he put him in there and he stood up and started praying. Salat until the morning, the entire night he started doing praying. And subhanallah, you might be thinking, man, poor wife, poor wife. Imagine today if that happened, you know, if our sisters, one of them got married and the husband just prayed salat the whole night. I don't know what they would think, subhanallah. I don't know what they would think. But it looks like this was a perfect match. She did the same thing. Mu'adha al Adawiya, she did the same thing. She prayed all night as well, right? Now in the morning when his nephew found out, he actually told him, he was like, what did you do? This is your first night, what are you doing? So he said, well look, yesterday, I mean, they're so sensitive these people are about the hellfire. They said, yesterday, you put me into a room, into a place which reminded me of the hellfire. That was the hammam, alright? Then after that, you put me into a room that reminded me of paradise. Because it was a nice scented room. Subhanallah, subhanallah, subhanallah. Right? And... He said, the thing is that I was occupied by the thought of hellfire and paradise all night long in my prayer. So he was probably reciting different verses and occupied by the thought of that. And his wife did the same thing. There was uh, another woman of the time, Amina, bintu Abil Wara. I mean, what a name, Amina, the one who's safe, right? The daughter of Abul Wara, the father of scrupulousness, Allahu Akbar, right? She was of the Abidat al-Khaifat. They describe her as being min al-Abidat al-Khaifat. Right? Among the very strong devotees, intense devotees and very fearful one. Whenever she would, whenever the hellfire would be mentioned in front of her, she would, said, she would say that when they enter hellfire, when people enter hellfire and they would eat there and they would drink from the fire, do you think they would still live? Then she would start crying. She's be thinking that how are you going to live in that place? How are you going to spend time in that place? The food, the drink, the, the boiling, scalding water. How are they going to live in that place? And she would cry. She would become, it says that she would actually become like a seed, a grain of wheat or something that was on the roasting oven, how they pop up and down. Have you seen popcorn? Right when you when you it pops up and down. So she was restless like that, and any time the hellfire would mention, she would cry herself, and she would make you cry because of just seeing her. I don't think we have enough people that cry around us today, so that we don't cry either. When is the last time we heard somebody crying in our prayers? In the prayers, there's not enough crying. This is the problem. The world has become hard-hearted. So maybe that's what the pandemic. But even the pandemic hasn't made people cry. Enough people cry. Among the Salaf, there were people when the, you know, we've, we're learning that there were enough people who, when the hellfire would be mentioned, they, they would become restless. Their state would change. And the reason is, why? Why would that happen? Because the Quran is so powerful. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, نَحْنُ جَعَلْنَاهَا تَذْكِرَ Suratul Waqi'ah. نَحْنُ جَعَلْنَاهَا تَذْكِرَ We've made this Quran as a reminder. 
and what it is is that the, the uh, not just the the Quran, but uh, we've uh, you know it could also be um, uh, the world that the, the 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 fire of the world is a is a warner and reminds us of the fire of the hereafter. That's why Ibn Abi Dunya has got a narration from Sa'ad ibn al-Akhram who says that I was once walking, walking with Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu anhu. There's several narrations, I'm only going to mention one of them about Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu anhu. He passed by these uh, ironsmiths. Now an ironsmith has to have a blazing fire, right? Because they, they, they put the metal in there, they melt it in there and they have to have a fire constantly, right? And he'd just taken out one of the hadid, one of the you know, bits of iron, one of the pieces of iron from the fire. And he just looked at him and started crying. Just reminded him of the hereafter. That's why uh, another occasion, I mean, there's numerous people who this would affect. The, it looks like there were a lot of people who actually go to these ironsmiths and, and that would remind them of the hellfire, right? So Ata al-Khurasani, he mentions that once, Uwais al-Qarni, rahimahullah, he was standing along uh, in the place of these uh, ironsmiths and um, he was checking and seeing how they... Uh, cause the fire you know they, they have these uh, uh, things where they blow f uh, air into it to um, to, to uh, kindle the fire further and he could hear the roar of the fire because of that and he himself Uwais al-Qarni himself rahimahullah, he shrieked when he heard the shriek of the fire and he fell down right? Ibn Abi Dhubab he said Talha and Zayd radiallahu anhu uh, when they would pass by such a fire like that, they would also stand and weep. It would be a moment of reflection. I think the next time, I mean, subhanAllah, we sit around a campfire and enjoy the marshmallows. Not to say you're not allowed to do that. Not to say you're not allowed to do that. But just the way we enjoy marshmallows around the fire. I mean, I don't. I personally don't like those gooey marshmallows. I mean, I'd, I could eat a marshmallow on its own, but I, d I just can't see the point of a mash marshmallow with all of that fire on it. Seriously, I, I find it a bit weird. But I know people enjoy it, right? But can we also maybe look at a fire one day for the sake of reminder? Hey, let's have a, you know, uh, when you have a camp and there's, you do a campfire, like let's have a spiritual campfire and say, this is to remind us of the, of the fire. You know, maybe we can include, but we're just so distracted today these days. There are so many stories of this. Ibn um, Rajab al-Hanbali, rahimahullah, has mentioned them. I mean, I'm not going to go through all of them. It says that... <clears throat> Bashir ibn Ka'ab, right? And some of the other Qurra, the, the reciters of uh, Basra, they would actually specially go to these um, iron smiths just to look at the blaze of the fire, the roaring of the fire. And they would just stand there and seek protection. That was them to remember hellfire. And they would seek protection from the hellfire at that time. Ala ibn al-Muhammad says that once I went to visit Ata al-Sulami, Ata al-Sulami rahimahullah and I saw that he was unconscious so I asked his wife what's wrong with him he said um, one of our neighbors uh, they kindled their tanur, their oven in those days I mean the ovens are with proper fire when he looked at it he just fell down he just fell, he just, fe he just fainted uh, Hassan rahimahullah says that Umar radiallahu anhu himself <coughs> sometimes he would have a fire kindled for him and then he would actually put, uh, uh, draw his hands close to it. And then he would say, Yabn al-Khattab, Are you able to bear this? 
do you have enough patience to bear this? Then what about the hereafter, essentially? This is about Hanaf ibn Qais himself, that he would have a lantern brought and he would put his finger in there and then he would make these noises and he would say, Hunayf, like little Hunayf, because his name is Ahnaf, he says, little Hunayf. Ma hamalaka ala ma sanata yawma kadha. Ma hamalaka ala ma sanata yawma kadha. This is almost like, he, what he's saying essentially, he puts his finger in there and he says, so what caused you to do that deed on that day? What caused you to do that deed on that day? So this, this is kind of an interesting idea. I mean, rather than the Christians flogging themselves, you know, when they do something wrong, they flagellate themselves, right? Uh, you know, you could do this. I mean, if uh, get a candle and just put your finger on and say, look, you know, are you still going to do the wrong? Are you still going to do the wrong? Just to create that, just to increase that fear in the heart so that the next time something goes wrong, we're not going to do it. You see, the point of all of this is that a lot of the salihin, a lot of the righteous individuals, right, today, in the past and so on, they would remember the hellfire and the various types of his punishments by just cues they would get from things in the world, right? For example, they would look at the ocean, right? They would look at the ocean, they, they would look at the ocean and that would remind them of the fire because there's description of the fire being like the waves of the ocean, like it's just going to be wave after wave of fire, you can't escape it. So that would remind them of the fire. They would, they would actually meditate almost like that. Another one is, they would actually look at um, animals that have been roasted, right? Which, like, you know, for a lot of people, you put a roasted animal, roasted leg or whatever down there, for them, it will remind them, uh, you know, it's a joy. It's like barbecue, mashallah, it's a barbecue. But for these people, they would actually remember the fire from this. Not all the time necessarily, but they would use that to remind themselves. Then your next barbecue is not the same. I'm not trying to kill your joy and your pleasure. But if out of one out of every ten barbecue, at least a moment in that, you can enjoy your meat, right? You can enjoy your meat, you can enjoy your barbecue. There's nothing wrong with that. You can enjoy your food as long as it's halal and not wasteful, you can enjoy it. But at least some of that moment should be gone in that reflection. It's very good for the heart, right? It will balance out you know, the, the exaltation from the joy, right? It will balance out the, the sense of um, abandonment that we feel from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then your next barbecue is not going to be the same if you remember this, right? Enjoy your barbecue, but just think about that. They would then hear the crying of children and that would remind them um, the extreme cold, the extreme heat, all of that would remind them of the hellfire. In fact, even when they're eating and drinking, they would think about it. So they would just use moments. These are guys, not obsessed people. They're not like, you know, crazy or whatever. It's just that they would use these moments, you know, sometimes or the other. I'll just mention a few stories about those that um, were prevented from sleeping at night. There's numerous stories, but just, just a few. Shaddad ibn Aus, whenever, you know, he would try to go to sleep, so he'd get into bed, but he would become restless like that like that popcorn essentially popping up and down. It's an exaggeration probably, right? But he would then say, Allahumma in, in, in dhukira jahannam la yada'uni anam. He basically says, whenever hellfire is remembered, then he can't sleep. So then what he would do, what do you do today if you can't sleep? Yesterday, for some reason, I couldn't sleep. So I had a kitab next to me about the Battle of Badr. So I started reading that. But on other occasions, I mean, the easiest thing to do is to actually take your phone and just go on your phone, right? That's why a lot of people, if they can't sleep at night or whatever, they grab their phone and that's what they do. Nowadays, that's what they do, 
these people, they would, he would stand and go to his place of prayer and start praying. Abu Sulaiman al-Darani says that Tawus, rahimahullah, he would lay down his, uh, his bedding. He would then lie upon it. And then after that, he would start to feel restless. It's almost like when you're lying down and you're about to sleep, Allahumma bismika amutu wa ahya. That was really something of consciousness of the hereafter for them. That, oh Allah, in your name, am I going to live and die? So like, I'm going from here. This may be my last moment. So they would start getting fearful of the hellfire that, am I prepared for it? So then he would jump up and he would move out the bed, uh, the, the bedding, right? So it wasn't a bed he was sleeping on, it was like bedding that he would put down to sleep on. He would move it out, face the Qibla and remain like that in prayer until the morning. And his statement was, The mention of the hellfire, right, has caused the sleep of the worshippers to fly away. Malik ibn Dinar rahimahullah, another person says that Ibn Rabi, the daughter of Rabi ibn Khaytham, once said to her father, What's wrong? You don't sleep while other people are sleeping. He says, Your father, the hellfire does not let your father sleep. Does not let your father sleep. There's poems from Abdullah ibn al-Mubarak rahimahullah, but we can't go through all of them. There's some people, the fire would not let them laugh. A few more stories. So we can finish this section off. Ismail al-Suddi says, Hajjaj said once to Sa'id ibn Jubair, I've been told that you never laugh. You never laugh. He said, How can I laugh? How can I laugh when the hellfire has been kindled? And all of these shackles and all of these things are just ready, right, to tie down the people. And the Zabania are there, all prepared. The special angels, the guards and all of these, it's all ready. Uthman ibn Abdul Hamid says that um, Ghazwan had some neighbors and there was a, a fire, right, among his neighborhood. So, he went to help put it out. And one of the sparks from there fell on his finger. And that pained him a lot. So he says, I'm seeing myself being so pained by this little bit of spark of the fire of the world. Wallahi, from now on, right, Allah is never going to see me laughing until I know. Right until I get an understanding, until I become aware of whether I'm going to be able to be saved from the hellfire or not. That was his moment where it just all clicked and says, I can't laugh anymore. There's many of the Salaf who actually said that. They said, I'm, never, I'm not going to laugh again until this happens or until that happens. And a lot of that is to do with the hellfire. For example, Hamama ad-Dawsi, Rabi ibn Khirash, his brother Rib'i. Uh, Ibn Khirash, they're, they're hadith scholars, they're, they're, in, uh, they're, in, uh, they're in the hadith collections. Aslam al-Ijli, Wahib ibn al-Ward, and many others, they would not laugh. They just said, we're not going to laugh until, you know, um, something becomes clear to us. In fact, uh, Yazid al-Raqqashi has related from Anas ibn Malik radiallahu anhu, that when the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was taken on the ascension, and um, Jibreel alayhi salam was with him, right? Uh, the Prophet ﷺ heard a sound and he said, what is this? He said that this is a hajar 
he, he, a thud. He heard a thud. I think it was a thud that he heard. And he, he asked Jibreel, what is this thud that we're just hearing? He said, yeah, this is a very well-timed thud. Essentially, he said that this is a stone that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has sent down, has basically dropped down into the midst of the hellfire. And it's been dropping for 70 years. It was dropped 70 years ago. And finally, right, it's just reached the depths today. 70 years. That's how much space there is in there. It then says in this narration that that is the moment after which the Prophet ﷺ never laughed. But he would smile only. So his, he became, it became restricted to smiling. Now what the difference is that in Arabic you have words for various different states of laughter. So if you're like, you know, when you just uh, express your teeth and you kind of extend your mouth a bit, that's smiling. That's called tabassum in Arabic, right? That's called tabassum in Arabic. If you make a sound that you hear, right, it's a very light sound, that's dhik. And if you make a sound that's louder, that others can hear as well, you know, a la loud laughter, a guffaw, whatever you call that, right, that, that's kahkaha. The Prophet would never do that. You'd never hear him laughing out loud, like laugh out loud, right? Uh, he would smile generally. That's what it's mentioned. There's another hadith in Tabarani of a similar nature as well. I think um, let us stop here. Uh, the, uh, the next section is going to be speaking about the people who became sick because of hellfire for, for a long amount of time. Inshallah, we'll look at those stories uh, next time. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless you all and unite us all together, all of us together who are listening here right in Jannatul Firdaus. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah.